0: Welcome to the Save What You Love podcast, I'm Mark Titus. Today, I get to introduce you to my good friend, Hannah Lux. Hannah has had the dubious distinction of cutting my hair for the last 20 years, (laughs) and she has become one of my closest friends. I thought, what a great human being to talk about saving what you love in your community, when I thought about Hannah the last time I got in my haircut after this COVID stuff started lightening up. and you know, got to thinking about what she has endured as a small business owner, as a woman who runs a small business of her own, as a mom who's been raising a BIPOC young man during this time of uprest and incredible justice happening right in front of our eyes, and as a really concerned citizen who's using her voice and her platform. She has a small but super vibrant and beautiful boutique here in Seattle, And she has been using totally recyclable and compostable and environmentally friendly products here for years. She's also been donating with all of her transactions and creating fundraisers and raffles and all sorts of things, doing what she can to say the things in her community, in our community, and even bigger. She recently held a raffle That was donating to United Tribes of Bristol Bay, our friends up north who are fighting the good fight for Bristol Bay, the people on the ground there who we donate to, who are leading the the charge for permanent protection in Bristol Bay. So, Hannah Lux today, if you're enjoying this podcast, I say this every week, but I really appreciate it if you head out, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or write a review if you can. It helps us a ton getting the word out about this show. Also, if you're looking for a solution for your summer grilling, head on over to avaswild.com and get yourself a summer experience kit. It's also a great gift for dad for Father's Day. We're coming up on that. That's avaswild.com. That's the word save spelled backwards, wild.com. Hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you next week. How do you say? Now, Lux, I'm so glad you're here. Hi.
1: It's good to see you.
0: It's good to see you too. Now, typically, we've got this thing reversed, and I'm sitting in front of you, and you're having your way with my hair. <laughs> it could turn out well. It could. You, you've got my life in your hands, man.
1: I do. Yeah, yeah. in a sense. It's <laughs> just hair, though. It grows back.
0: It's true. We've been doing a little while. We have. Haircutting. That is
1: twenty years. Twenty years, yeah. Since the beginning,
0: yeah. Well, I think it's a good place to start our conversation with what you've been up to <laughs> the last calendar year, because uh, we've all been going through the trippiest year in a hundred years that you know anybody can remember. But you've got some really incredibly poignant things that were especially. Uh, memorable, I think, in that you're a small business owner, uh, you're a woman small business owner, you are raising a, a young son who is BIPOC, and um, you uh, you kind of have become people's, in my mine included, th- therapists from time to time. Uh, people get their, you know, stuff out in your chair. Um, we'll get to all of that, but first. Generally, how was it for you this last year? How did you make it through?
1: Um, I mean, in general, I think I am one of the really lucky ones. Um, I have a very small business, and my overhead isn't crazy like some places are. And I really have been able to recover, I think, a lot faster and without as much pain as some. Um, It took a lot of juggling. Um, I had extra renters this summer, even though that was the... Kind of craziest time after reopening, June first, I believe, last year. Um, but juggling schedules was a small price to pay when it comes to being able to recoup some of the money that we lost for being closed for three months, which was really tough and scary.
0: So you were closed straight up for three whole months. Yes. How did the kind of reentry process work for you? And then what what happened during those three months? Like, how did you? honestly like get by?
1: Um, I mean, unemployment got me by, um, living in a awesome home with, um, people. So I didn't feel lonely and, you know, we all helped each other out and we all bought groceries and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we were fine in that sense. Um, but it was a little weird. I've never not had anything to do which that was really, really (laughs) hard for me. Yeah, I bet. Um, I did all of the things for a few weeks until there was nothing left to do. And then I had to like get comfortable with like sitting with nothing and just spending time with my family. And, you know, obviously that's not difficult, but like getting that unadulterated, like unbothered time was now looking back on it, of course, very special. But at the time it was, it felt really uncomfortable (laughs) And, you know, worrying about your business the whole time. How long are we going to be closed for? We had zero idea how long it would last. I mean, it sounded like it would be a week, and then it was two more weeks, and then it was the whole month, and then it just kept growing. So, yeah, it was really
0: weird. Well, okay, so hovering on this for just a moment.
1: Yeah.
0: um, For recovery folk out there like me, sitting in stuff is really weird. It's really uh, uh, it's really hard. And I mean, I think um anybody that's in that world um who has been through addiction um would agree that sitting in your own feelings and finding space inside yourself to have those thoughts and feelings in 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 a way that's productive and healthy and just being present is super difficult. So in a weird way, folks in my, like the recovery community, were kind of perfectly tuned for this kind of thing is we have to do that stuff. But it's super interesting to check in with other people that, you know, don't have that as part of their every single day toolkit. And you said something interesting. You said, you know, like it was for a while. Now it became something now that we appreciate, you know, um, do you think, Moving forward here, there are lessons that you've learned just on a personal level, and we'll go into the business here in a minute, but that you want to take and push forward into regular life from this point on, learning what we learned from this, this year that wasn't.
1: For sure. Um, I always thought I did a good enough job spending quality time with my family or taking time off or doing things for myself or whatever. I needed, but I really don't think I ever did a very good job of that. And I did learn that lesson in that time that I got to spend, you know, at home. And then like we were beginning to talk about the re-entry into working again last summer, we had to slow way down. Like we couldn't be just productive. We couldn't just double book. We couldn't just cram people in. Um, I worked longer days, but Everything was more spread out and therefore slower because we had to do all of this extra cleaning that we weren't used to doing in between. We couldn't pack people in and I don't want to go back to that pace. <laughs> Every once in a while I have like two people in a household together that I double book and man, that kicks my butt mm-hmm. and uh, it definitely takes more out of me. And so I think my takeaway is like slowing down like, just keep focused on good quality and good time with people and not make myself or the person in the chair feel rushed at all. Just chill out a little bit. Um, and that goes for personal life too.
0: Well, I've watched you move your little shell from a few different places. Um, like your physical space, you know, the, um, your, your salon. And, um, I know, what attention to detail you put into things. And since the pandemic, um, and I've been getting haircuts, you've got a perfectly regimented little protocol. Like how did you go about figuring that out as a small business owner? And like, what did, how did you put that all together?
1: Well, um, back to the not having anything to do, (laughs) I could really focus on, that as it looked like we were starting to open again. I mean, I was reading every update from the state and all kinds of stuff from the CDC and all of whatever came out, I was reading it um, in preparation and it gave me something to do and something to focus on. And I was frankly afraid to open my business. Um, I, at the time, thought that we maybe shouldn't be in phase two of opening, that maybe we should be at a later phase um, just because we have to be so close to people. So um, I spent a lot of time reading <clears throat> all of the lists and the the mandates and the recommendations from um, not only the CDC, but like the, the cosmetology board and stuff like that to see what we needed to do. And then, I mean, that's just what I focused my stress on was <laughs> organizing how that was going to work for us. <clears throat> um, after doing stuff a certain way for almost 20 years at that point, it was really hard to like totally switch it up and add a whole bunch of new steps and procedures. So um, I just broke it down and talked with my two people that were working with me at the time and we figured out a way that would work for each guest as they came in and then what would allow for enough time in between each client to do all of the different steps of cleaning. Um, So we kind of put that together together.
0: So we're, we're going to move on to one of the other hats you wear here in just a sec uh, as a mom. <laughs> but uh, b- before we depart, um, everybody who is a small business owner, I understand this, everybody that knows this world, especially in the last year, knows um, how scary it's been and the challenges in our own particular fields. Um, I deal with food in, in some capacity, and so it had its own challenges. I know that you had some unique challenges too as a a stylist and, um, uh, you kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but like, what, what were some of the things that were unique to your industry that, that, um, you had to adapt to?
1: Well, I mean, there is no social distancing with your client. (laughs) Um, I mean, in takeout and stuff like that, there are ways to like have a pickup table, you know, and there's like zero contact or whatever. Um, that's just not an option for any kind of personal service for that matter. So, um, I mean, we got to ditch some of this stuff fairly soon after starting, but things like we had to like wear a different thing over our clothes, not just an apron, but to keep everything off. And we were supposed to change it in between every client and the different kinds of wiping down. But we also needed to have, you know, a face mask and a face shield. Um, and all of these things, and um, it was just a little more nerve-wracking because when you're told you're supposed to stay six feet away from everybody and then now all of a sudden I'm, like, six inches away from your face at the shampoo bowl, um, it was kind of nerve-wracking. And, like, one of the recommendations was – or suggestions was to, um, put a towel on your client's face while they're laying back at the shampoo bowl. And we chose not to do that because it made people uncomfortable. So we
0: wore Come on our, in for your personalized waterboarding. I know. Right.
1: <laughs> Would that make you feel comfortable? Um, no, like yeah. claustrophobic.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we wore our, our mask and shield always at the shampoo bowl in the early times, but yeah, it's being that close to people when you're told to stay the hell away from everybody is pretty uncomfortable, even when they're people that you like are comfortable being close to. Mm-hmm. It's nerve wracking.
0: God, I, I thought about you many times during this and about that in particular. And are you back on the trajectory here of moving and shaking and the business is yeah. picking up?
1: Yeah, no, we're good. Um, we've definitely, stuff just took longer in the beginning, but everything's kind of smoother and more fine-tuned things don't take as long like I said before we're not going to go back to like the manic way of scheduling and stuff ever I don't think but with all of the rules loosening up and what we know about the virus so much more now and with all of the vaccinating that's happening um, it's a lot more comfortable and the the weight is kind of off of our shoulders for sure and a lot of people I mean pretty much everybody's come back now um, we had a small number of people that were waiting until they got vaccinated, so we're now seeing all of them back in, which is really nice. Cutting off lots and lots of hair.
0: Yay! I bet you, I bet you are. Um, so, while this was going on a year ago, this whole ugh, disruption and anxiety and um, uncertainty, there was also a lot of um, civil unrest about. Justice, and I know that this has a very personal bent uh, in in raising Zakai and raising your son. And I would just love to hear, and I think we'd all love to hear from your eyes, what was that like as a mom watching George Floyd unfold the, the t- this what seems to be a tipping point, and how did you how did you assimilate that information? And what what did you say to your son and and then, how did you guys move through that together?
1: Um well, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> it was it was uh it was really hard to navigate, um, especially as a white woman. you know, I don't. I don't have those struggles um, on a daily basis when I leave the house and stuff. but um even my son at the time, you know, he was twelve, um, now thirteen um, understands those fears and those worries. And I have a different fear and worry as a mom, no matter who I am or what I look like that, you know, every time my kid leaves the house, like, what does that mean? You know, is he going to be safe out there? Is somebody going to flip on him for no reason? You know, is he going to be okay? Like that's a horrible fear, um, already that you already have as a parent in general. Um, but then as all of this was unfolding last, uh spring it really just brought it all right to everybody's front door. Um there was no escaping that. You we all had to, you know, I don't know what the right word is other than man up, but that's a horrible way to say that. But just to like buck up and face it and see it for what it is. Um and my kid really wanted To know about it all and he wanted to see it all and he wanted to go down to protests and stuff and uh, we watched them on TV because after the first one went pretty south. um, We just I didn't feel like it was the safe thing to take him to, and his dad definitely didn't want him going. So we struggled for a while, and I think I even reached out to you Mm because we were looking for something to do. Like, we needed to be a part of the change. He really wanted to be a part of it. Like, he wanted to be out there with his fist in the air, you know, screaming and yelling and, you know, being a part of it. Um, And he was just too young to do that safely at that time. It was kind of scary. So... Anyway, we reached out to you and we thought about helping out with the cleaning up and all that kind of stuff. And we looked into a bunch of avenues and then he had heard about a small kids protest that happened in South Seattle, but he didn't get to go to cause it was one of those we heard about it afterwards. And so he's like, well, why can't we do that? You know, up here in our neighborhood. i mean he had talked to his friends and people, you know, other kids wanted to be a part of doing something too. Mm. You know, they don't like watching all this happen on TV and, not know what to do with it. Um, so he suggested we try to get some buddies together just to like do a little protest outside of his elementary school. Um, Cause he was in middle school then, but that school is just down the street from our house. And uh, in me emailing, the parents of these kids word spread, and all of a sudden it was like the whole neighborhood and businesses in the neighborhood, and everybody wanted to help be a part of it. And it turned out to be a really big thing. It was like three hundred people showed up, and we got um, uh, two businesses to donate to BLM in his name for the protest. And it was a really really fun day. And these kids got to make their own signs and be a part of it, you know, and feel like they got to do something and use their voice because kids don't really get to do that, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's complicated. It's so many feelings and emotions and I still don't know if I have the right conversations with him about what to do in the world as a, as a kid of color. I really don't. It's hard.
0: You know, I think though that, um, as I'm listening to you and we're all listening to you tell the story. It's really you—you f- you did it. You found a way to do something together. And um, how did Sakai feel about that effort and what came out of it, and just being a part of something in the way that you were able to be a part of something?
1: I think he was really surprised and overwhelmed. And um, I think part of him wanted it to just be his his friends, you know. But when he saw all of these people that showed up. In support, I, like he really, he he just totally loved it. It was, it just made him feel full. I guess you know he's just he was very proud of himself afterwards, and <clears throat> was glad that so many other kids like him got to do something, you know, and not mm-hmm. just sit home and watch it on TV, you know.
0: Has it affected school life um, in terms of how things are taught or what? kind of, um, discussions you're having, um, around the dinner table?
1: Um, I don't think it's changed school. You mean like at school? Yeah. <clears throat> Not so much. I mean, it's hard to say cause I don't go to school. Right. Um, so I don't know what maybe would end up happening if they were there, but, um, his history teacher, this second semester, I thought did a very good job of addressing a lot of different stuff, um, from the insurrection to, to civil rights stuff. Um, and they actually read, you know, stamped from the beginning, um, by Abraham X. Kindy. They, he made a version called stamped for teenage readers. And they read that in their history class, like the entire first quarter they spent reading that book, um, which was great. Um, and I don't know that that's part of their normal curriculum. So yeah, it's changed that in a sense. Um, it's definitely brought way more conversations up at home, just about, um, civil rights and all of that kind of stuff. He watched, um, Malcolm X (laughs) with his dad and like, he's, he's definitely more into learning about all of the history of the civil rights too. Not just what's happening right now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it has changed conversations for sure that we have.
0: Well, he is a uh, great kid. We got to shoot a a really fun piece um, for the Nature Conservancy a couple years ago together. Yeah, that was sweet. On a summer day, um, people got to wait in the water and looking forward to some of that. And I know that the outdoors is a big part of how you raise Zakai and it's been a big part of your life. How does the appreciation for the wild fold into your, um, the way that you, you raise your son and, um, and now Joey, now your, your husband is also into camping and doing this stuff. Like what is it about heading out into the, the wild that feeds you guys?
1: I think it's that like being totally unplugged like nobody can ask anything of you it's like really true free time and there's just something about the woods that is like no other place for me that's where like my heart is full I love the woods people are like you know ocean people or mountain people, I am a woods person. I don't care where the woods are, but, um, so that just makes me feel good to be in the trees, but also just, like I said, that completely detached from all of the regular stuff. We don't have screens because half of the time there isn't isn't Wi-Fi or whatever or cell service. Um, and, uh, just like living with simplicity, even though, typically now we car camp with the kids and that requires stuff. It's a lot less stuff than what you have at home, you know? And, uh, I grew up backpacking and that's way less stuff. And that's what I love. That's my favorite kind of camping. And that's part of it is the simplicity. Like you take just what you need cause you don't want to carry a bunch of shit. <laughs> you don't want to carry a bunch of crap. I'm
0: and, uh,
1: you. yeah. And it's, you just figure out like, oh, I don't need all of this stuff. And look at how happy I am and how beautiful this is. And you get to focus on the natural beauty instead of all of the distractions.
0: I'm so with you. I am into paring everything down, every chance for like everything now. I mean, um, I try to get out and fly fish once a week or at least walk the river or, or hike or something. But I've found um, the last couple of weeks I've been going out to the Snoqualmie River I, I don't have a vest, I don't have a jacket with a bunch of stuff. It's like I've got yeah. hemostats and uh, like an extra spool of tippet and like I just shove it into my waiter. I just want to be minimal. Yeah. Do you find that there is sort of a um, an entry period with uh, – and it's Sakai and then your um, husband also has uh, kids. And so now when you've got the whole crew together, what does it look like unplugging those rascals like can you visibly see the difference when they're between bleeping and blipping on the thing and then what it looks like at the end of a, a trip going out into the woods
1: oh for sure they definitely are different they they're just they get their yaya's out <laughs> better for lack of a better term you know they run around and they get super dirty and they stink and it's they just have a good time. They turn over rocks and collect worms so they can fish. And, you know, they're exhausted at night and they sleep really well and they eat way more food. And by the end of it, you know, I mean, they're just sure they come home and they get back on screens, but not in the with the same intensity, you know. But they never complain about not having it out there. They always find stuff to do and they get creative, you know.
0: How long do you think it takes to, you know,
1: To undo? Yeah, to undo. Like, no time. Really? Yeah, they get out of the car and they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Check this out. You know, they want to see the the new surroundings and check out what our campsite's like and where are we going to put the hammocks and all of that stuff. I mean, when Sakai was really little, the first thing he'd do when you get out of the car is go pee in the bushes, you know, like <laughs> he wanted to like, right. your pee. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, it, it takes no time. To, in. Yeah, <laughs> it takes no time to unplug. It seems like, cause it's just the excitement of the new place. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters.
0: That's inspiring. That's hopeful. Um, I know with our 10 nieces and nephews, it's pretty similar. Like, um, you get them out on the boat or out on the water, and 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 connecting with a fish, touching a fish, seeing what that's like, and something happens. It's just, and it's, you know, I, I I just get out of the way, you know, try to be out of the way, and that is that thing that is bigger than us. This this connection to the universe that um, that you find in the wild, and it's it's really cool every time you post pictures or. We get to hang out. Um, I just love seeing that delight in Zakai's eyes.
1: Yeah, he loves it.
0: Yeah. Well, look for the environment. Um, there, you know, if if you've watched my film, The Wild, Zaria Forman's a beautiful artist. Um, does these landscapes in the Arctic, and uh, she talks about her approach to her art in the film, and. She says, ultimately, you know, it's addressing climate change, and she's capturing these landscapes before they disappear. But she also says that it's overwhelming thinking about the size of the problem and all of the problems we face. I know I feel that way um, from time to time, like most times. I know um, you. most of us all feel that way. But I have noticed, step by step, row by row, that, you know, when I come into your shop, and check out the boutique. You've always got some new product, or you've always got some some way to find a way to make a difference, to plug in, to save what you love in in your own way. Can you talk about using your business as advocacy?
1: Yeah, um, I feel like we all have a responsibility to do something small, like no matter what it is, because it is too big for us to conjure a solution like it's it's crazy overwhelming so yeah any way that we can find to do that I'm down to do it so um my industry particularly makes a ton of trash like the waste is just ridiculous all the foils and the chemicals and all of that the disposable stuff you know is gross it's awful so uh A company, I don't know when they started, but a little while ago, um, it's called Green Circle Salons and they are a recycling, um, company for salons only, um, salons and, uh, you know, nail techs and they do all of that stuff. So they take basically what equates to 95% of our waste and either recycles it or disposes of it properly so it doesn't end up in our waterways or in landfills, um foils for instance get turned into bicycle parts and stuff like that and um cool. they even have a PPE program now where um you can collect anything PPE from gloves to masks to shields all of the things even you know Clorox wipes you can put in there and uh they uh send it to a partner company that incinerates it but this company that does that uses the steam produced from that to power their facility in the neighborhood around them. And the ash that's created from it gets used in concrete. So it all gets reused instead of just ending up in landfills. I mean, you know, we see masks in the gutters and on the beach and everywhere now. It's gross, but like we can't get away from that yet, you know? So... Um, trying to do things like that. That was a, that was a big thing. I wanted to do that last year and the pandemic kind of, you know, made that more difficult. So I didn't, but got it going in December. Um, and then just trying to pick lines that align with that sort of mentality too. I carry a line of, um, solid shampoo and conditioner now, which I really like. I use exclusively at home.
0: Solid. What does that mean?
1: So it means it's in a bar, like a, like a body bar. Um, it comes in a a recycled and recyclable, obviously, um, cardboard box, and it's just a little bar of shampoo. So it's concentrated. It doesn't have water in it like you would have in your bottled shampoo. Um, so it's zero waste. I mean, you use it until it's gone, and, you know, that's it. I put mine in jars, and you just keep them out of the stream of water in your shower so they don't wash away just like a bar soap, and uh, and you're good to go.
0: People that's Are really people great. digging them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. dig them. Um, so I have, it's called high bar and it's the first salon grade um, solid shampoo that I could find. Um, and there are a bunch more little indie um, companies that do that now that I would be interested in in the future. And then um, I have another line that is into trying to get rid of the throwaway culture too, in a slightly different way. Cause you can't make bars out of everything obviously. Um, but they have these gorgeous glass containers that house their product and then you so you buy that one time and when you are ready for more you buy a refill that has like two volumes of that in it and you refill it so it's significantly less trash it's not zero waste but um every little bit
0: so right then do i come to you to refill these things and yeah so you would
1: come to me so next to where you would buy the you know the first one that you buy would be a refill pouch. Mm. So the next time you come in, you buy a refill pouch and you take it home and you fill it up and you have two amounts of whatever that product
0: is. Awesome. Awesome. I, I do the Dr. Bronner's yeah. thing a lot. And, but um, I think that another thing that's occurring to me as we're talking is um, I look to you as an innovator. I mean, you, you come up with these, ideas in these products and and you go and, and find these things but as a small business yourself and then some of these folks are also small businesses how do you how have you found the ability to um, stay sustainable as a business um, without you know creating a monster huge product out in the world that is you know mass produced and How does that work? I mean, you know, it's tough, right? To, to go out and do things a different way. What's, what's your advice for, for other folks like us that are small business owners?
1: I mean, I spent time Googling and I, I've had stuff just pop up on Instagram. To be honest, I found, I found both of the lines I was just talking about, the high bar and that Colton King is the other on, um, on Instagram. And, just spent some time Googling them and reading about them and found out that they're small businesses, which I like to, um, I like to help too. I like to be a part of that. Um, but like Colton King, for instance, they only sell to small businesses. You can't buy it if you have, you know, more than like two locations and things like that. So they, they focus on the little guy, which I of course appreciate as well. But, um, yeah, to be honest, I found a lot of it just on social media and then, just spent some time looking into it. And that leads to other lines that I can then compare, right, um, to land where I do.
0: But um, We're going to dive into social media in a second. But um, what about for the consumer and making something that a product that is affordable for? It seems to me that if we're really going to turn the tide, things do have to come to scale in some oh, way, yeah. sh- shape, or form. What 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 are your thoughts? What are your insights on that? Like how do I'll, I'll give you an example on my side. You know um, this there's uh, we sell Bristol Bay sockeye salmon and it costs a certain amount to for the fishermen to pull it out of the sea, for the processor to process it to then barge it and mass down here. Um, we're lucky; it's a it's a great um, story actually. The carbon footprint is very very small because it's all barged together, but it still it kind of costs what it costs. You know, um, you, you can get price breaks on, on volume like anything else. But like there's a certain, you know, amount you, you've got to pay. And so in this regard, those of us that want to do right and do good, we want to make that available to as many people as we can. In in my case, I'd like to try to make pink salmon, for instance, available to Folks, you know, um, it's it's kind of had a bad rap in the past because it wasn't handled correctly during the processing. Um, and there's lots better ways to do it now, like bleeding them immediately and icing them immediately. And um, so that's one way in in the salmon world. In your world, what does that look like? How how do we start bringing these concepts and affordability to more people? Um, or or maybe it's even more about the story to more people, to get on board in in mass, to really um, work towards sustainability as a culture.
1: Well, I don't get to. I don't have control over what things cost that I sell, right? So even though sure I buy them at wholesale price, I sell them at their set retail price, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I definitely try to choose lines that I think are a reasonable price so that people can afford to buy into my, you know, want to help them be sustainable and my being sustainable. Right. Um, but that's, that's as much as I can do. Like, I don't, hmm. I don't get to have control over that. Um, cause I don't make the products. Um, but I think the story is more important, right? Like yeah. the explaining why it's important to like, you know, spend $35 on this product. But like, think about it. You get this really great reusable glass jar that is great for the environment. It's not plastic and you get to refill it. So it's cheaper in the future, but you're investing this one time in this one thing that might be a little bit more than your regular price point, but look at how much less trash you're creating with this one thing, you know? So I think it's more for me, in the salon world, it's more about the story. It's, it is about choosing properly, for sure, what lines I carry so that um, they are high quality but yet are affordable, but also sharing the story properly so people understand what they're buying into and why it's important and that it's totally worth it.
0: I couldn't agree more. That's that is absolutely the tip of the spear for the work I'm doing too. It's obviously you know comes down to telling that story and and wanting to be a part of that story. Um, And I think it's like Tom Douglas will tell you too. Like he, uh, as a restaurateur here in Seattle, he um, has been working on creating realistic portion sizes because we throw out
1: so much food,
0: unseemly amounts of food. It's like thirty five percent. It's, it's unbelievable. So helping to tell that story about maybe you don't need something this big. You you know, get something that you will be able to use over time that's valuable, that makes you feel good, and, um, and helps the planet at the same time. That's not where you stop, though. You do other things for activism out of your little moxie beauty boutique. And it makes me so proud. Um, very recently, you were um, doing a raffle, with, and we were providing some salmon, and, and uh, you had decided to donate everything out of this raffle um, to United Tribes of Bristol Bay. Can you tell us a little bit about that raffle, why you did that, and then more, kind of more on your giving back program and, and how it works?
1: Well... That's another thing I just feel like is an important responsibility that we all have, right? In some way, we've got to figure out a way to to give back however we can. And I don't, you know, we don't make a ton of money at the salon and stuff. Like we're, we're good, but, you know, we're not like some huge corporation. So, um, you know, any little thing I think matters and makes a difference. Um, so we try to like quarterly-ish um, put together some kind of a fundraiser. Um, we've, uh, we've de- worked with Mary's place for the holidays a lot. We do that a lot. What is and, Mary's
0: place?
1: Uh, Mary's place is a, um, organization. I think it's, um, centered in downtown Seattle, but they have a few locations that help house, um, families. Um, and they're a really great organization, but yeah, anyway, um, uh, where
0: was I? Sorry, I shouldn't have jumped in. <laughs> that okay. you were talking oh, about quarterly. You
1: wanted me to tell you about.
0: Yeah, the, and the Bristol, the Bristol Bay, the Bristol Bay yes, yeah,
1: the United Tribes of Bristol Bay. So, uh, when it came close to April, we were wanting to pick something that was more um, environmental related, being that it's Earth Month. We really wanted to support something like that. And um, years ago, when I worked for Aveda, we always fundraised for the Puget Soundkeepers, which is great, but they're a huge organization and they get a lot more money. And I kind of was more interested in helping something smaller or something that maybe needs more, like there should be more awareness about doesn't get as doesn't get talked about as much. So I reached out to you and you gave me some great options, some of which I may you know go back to actually. Um, But we thought, the salmon idea was really great because I mean, salmon is a huge part of the whole Northwest, right? Like, we all, I mean, I grew up here and uh, those are some of the early memories I have are like smoked salmon and, you know, I, I love seafood. That's well, my favorite.
0: And Ballard, I mean, the there there's a m- large part of the fleet in Bristol Bay. Oh, yeah. Is directly from here. I mean, sure. folks think, you know, it's, A lot of times it's just, it's way up there. Yeah, it's right here. Yeah, and it is. And that food then comes to the rest of the country. And I think, you know, after years now of talking about this, got at least 10 years together, um, you know, I've obviously been pitching the case that this is kind of our birthright. It's a national treasure. It's the last kind of thing in the form that it's in. Yep. And so um, good on you. That was awesome.
1: It was, it was a fun one to do. It really was. I mean, my, my aunt and uncle were both in the fish, fishing industry for forever. Mm-hmm. And so that's, i definitely have connections to that and it just felt right. So um, we thought we would take a different approach and we did a raffle this year for that. And that worked out really well. I definitely think we'll probably do more raffles in the future, but we just put together a basket of, there were some products. We put the shampoo and conditioner bars in there. It was all eco-friendly stuff that we put in there. Um, some reusable, like you know, silicone containers instead of plastic bags, that kind of thing, and then uh, your salmon. And actually, one of my great friends won that raffle. He owns a um, a small business too. He owns a restaurant, and he's definitely been working hard this year. So it felt really good that he won that. It was it was pretty cool. But yeah,
0: lovely that's it good all the way, way around trying
1: to like get the word out a little bit. We got to share information about salmon and Bristol Bay and what the United tribes of Bristol Bay do as an organization. So
0: it was well, pretty cool. I'm sure Alana and Lindsay and Sally and among others at uh, UTBB up in Dillingham appreciate that. And, um, you know, just it, it is, they are the tip of the spear in the fight to save the world's last fully intact wild salmon system, um, rightly so. They're the people that have been there for over 4,000 years. They know it best. I want to talk to you about social media for a minute. Okay. Okay. So both as a small business owner and a mom, and I spent about three days in Telluride, Colorado, in the fall, last fall. Um, It was pretty much the only thing I did out left Seattle to go do, because we showed the wild outside at this thing called Original Thinkers. It was an amazing piece um, and uh, an amazing event that was all distanced and it was kind of in this outdoor church thing. But one of the speakers was Jeff Orlowski, uh, who's the director of The Social Dilemma. And it deals with, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and how we are the product. If we're not paying for it, we're the product. Now, I know full well you know full well social media as a small business owner is kind of a necessary evil. How do you strike a balance in your life as um, the business owner part of you? And then also as a mom with a young son who is like, how do you navigate that? Like it's ubiquitous and you don't want to deprive young people like the common language that everyone's speaking, but it's also really pernicious. It's, it's insidious and it, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, I don't let my kid on social media. He has no social media account. Mm. Um, I figure that's a bridge we'll cross when we get to high school maybe. Um, but I hate social media for that reason. It's just, it's, it's an ugly, ugly place for kids sometimes and for adults. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not good at social media (laughs) when it comes to my business. Like, I do it in spurts. I feel like I get all like, you know, riled up to talk about certain things and I do, and then I have to like take a break for a while. Cause I just can't bring myself to do it all the time. I always want to be that person that posts hair pictures all the time and stuff too. But the reality is I just don't have time to do that again. I do it in spurts. <laughs> I'll save up pictures and I'll do, do it for like two weeks. And then I'm like out of there for a month or so. Um, it isn't, it is a necessary evil though. Like people find you on social media. People mm-hmm. like to, you know, know that you align with what they believe too. And they look for that on social media also. And it's, um, I try not to get wrapped up in like, how many followers do I have and mm-hmm. likes and all that crap? Cause people get real obsessed with it and, uh, they're all, it's it's too much, so I try to like keep enough on there that shows that I'm active and shows a piece of what Moxie is like. But I don't do a lot in that department.
0: Do you have like a set protocol? Like I'm only going to do it on this day, or between like for an hour this day? Or, no, like,
1: I should, but I don't.
0: Hmm, I'm working on that <laughs> myself you mean like
1: for your personal self, or for,
0: for the whole thing. Yeah. It's all kind of wrapped together, you know, and in my world now. And, um, not that I, you know, she's same thing. Like I'm not on it all the time and I don't have, um, tons and tons of followers or, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's like, it's this common vernacular and that's how you people find what you're doing. And I have found it to be a really, um, interesting balance and, especially it's got addictive tendencies yeah. big time and I can see it. Like there's the dopamine hit and wants more of it. And so
1: that I'm bored. I have to have something to do.
0: Well, yet yeah, We come clear back to the head of this thing. It's like, what can I just sit in my feelings right now? And
1: exactly in my
0: environment that I'm in with the people I'm with and do, or do I need to be stimulated all the friggin' time? Um, so where I'm at with this is like, uh, yeah, I, I, I am now scheduling, okay, um, I will check it in the morning, I'll check it at lunchtime and check it in the evening. and that's that's it. And if I've got something to post, it's on a schedule, and on we go. Um, I certainly look with envy at you know folks that have these gorgeous um, curated profiles and, and it's it's cool. I mean, it looks beautiful, but I, same as you, like I just don't know where I can find the the time. To, and I, honestly, I don't know for my mental health if I can devote it. You know, um,
1: yeah.
0: we we've had folks like Domi uh, on our team do the social media for a while, and she got, you know, she was just cranking on it, and she got kind of burnt. Yeah, it was during our our virtual tour, and it was like it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, and it's taxing, and it makes you feel kind of judgy on yourself. Like, man, I'm not coming up with the most original content. You know, this exactly. whole thing. And this wasn't something that we knew growing up. This is a brand new process.
1: Well, and like what you just brought up, there are like a whole bunch of different issues with the social media, right? I mean, there's like the the you know, the business stuff that's hard to keep up with, to think you're, you know, being original all the time and making sure you're posting enough so people don't forget about you. But then there's the personal world too and how judgy that gets but also just the mindless scrolling Mm -hmm. um and the onslaught of sometimes just horribly negative that is just too much i mean i go through times where i just have to take facebook off my phone
0: yep and i'll do
1: that for for like a month or whatever and i can i'll look at it every once in a while on my computer but i don't spend a lot of time at my computer because i work not at a computer so it makes it so I'll, i'll check it maybe once or twice a week but then it'll end up back on my phone, and then I end up into the same cycle again. And then I have to quit it and get it off of there. But
0: That's that's exactly – that's the number one trick that um, Jeff Orlaski told me and uh, we were in Telluride. Um, I was like, what, have you deleted all of your – and he's like, no, I've kept them. But I took it off my phone. Yeah. So I can't have access. And that's the kind of stuff that I have to do. Like if I need to make some sort of mental trick, I'm going to do it yeah, because otherwise it's, it's, it's to just too away. easy to – Jump into that.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. So uh, where do we go from here in this city, in this country that we're in? Um, What are the lessons that you have taken to heart? And obviously it's very malleable right now. Like we're in this very you know, just reemerging phase and don't really know exactly what's going on here. But like, if you were to take a couple, two, three lessons that you want to integrate into your everyday life, your family life and your business practice, and then your, your role as a citizen, as a community member in this really challenging and dynamic place we're in, what are those two or three things?
1: Well, for One, I think we all should just slow down. And I think in slowing down, maybe we would see more things clearly. Like when everything was closed last year and, you know, there were hardly any airplanes flying overhead. And, you know, we all just were stuck at home and spending time with family and learning how to navigate that. Like we kind of all paid more attention to things and you know, maybe just weren't so distracted, but, um, I think that's important. So we all spend more time together and start caring about each other more and not just our family, but about everybody. I think that's the biggest problem right now. Like people that don't want to wear a mask or whatever, when they aren't vaccinated yet or whatever. I mean, obviously that that's changing now too, but, um, yeah, just like care about people and things more care about the everything more because we can't just do it all on our own. We kind of all have to be working on this together. Like what you brought up about the environment. It's overwhelming when you think about it as one big problem. Like we can't solve that just ourselves. But if we all do tiny little things, then maybe we can make a difference. And that sounds so cliche, but it's really true.
0: It's completely true. Um, You also have had another role that I wanted to dive into a little bit more with our closing time here. Besides being a small business owner, a mom, a wife, a mensch, a good egg in the community, um, you've kind of been a mental health counselor almost, like a a receptacle for people's angst during this time. I heard a, a, a really compelling news story about this, like people... Are going to the, their barbers and their stylists and their haircutters, and unloading. Like, what was that like, and how how did you cope with that?
1: That was that was surprisingly difficult. Um, some days more than others, for sure. Um, I mean, we've always been that, right? But. It's usually, you know, not everybody at the same time is having <laughs> this depressed cloud that they're living in, mm. um, that they have no new things to talk about because they don't do anything. Um, so it's just not so concentrated. But there was a good chunk of time there where it was pretty, it was pretty hard because nobody had fun to talk about or new to talk about. Um, they were sad, they missed their family and it was the same story over and over again, or they would sit down and they just wouldn't feel like they had anything to say Mm. and they'd just be more quiet and more down and, you know, not that it's a bad thing, but it just made it so that I would then talk more and try to lift them up. And that takes a, a different level of emotional energy. Right. And it's, uh, it was, it was tough. But um, I think it was kind of more like after the holidays, um, after those huge spikes happened, that people slowly started coming out of that. There was a lot of talk during the holidays about seeing families and feeling guilty about seeing families and all of that kind of stuff too, which was a little awkward. I had some pretty sad stories really after the holidays oh, too. Of families that shouldn't have gathered that did, and so I mean. Yeah, I've I've heard it all and I bet I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> I just want I want like people to be happier again and not have all of that weight, you know.
0: Bring some light in, folks. Yeah, Happy go, stories.
1: Go do something fun outside that's <laughs> yeah. safe. Go get vaccinated yeah. and like live your life and then then let's talk about it. Then let's you know? talk.
0: <laughs> all right. What are you reading and what are you watching these days?
1: Well, I'm still trying to work through a book. I'm, I read in spurts. You know, I have um, my bonus kids are here. They live um, in Iowa usually and they're here for the summer, um, which just means I have less time to, mm. to read. I mean, I already it comes and goes. Right. But uh, um, I'm reading a book called Don't Touch My Hair which is a very Strangely good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so far so good. I'm still like in the first quarter of it. So it's hard to talk about too much, but it's, um, it's about a woman who is, she's half black, half, um, Irish and about what that's like, um, having good hair, having bad hair and, you know, cultural appropriation and all kinds of stuff that has to do with hair in that community. Um, so it's really good.
0: That um, is a really interesting topic and yeah. one I had not thought about till this yeah. last six months really, and um, started learning more about culture. What about stuff you watch? Are, are you in anything movies or series wise that not to be missed?
1: Um, we've been watching it's called Shy.
0: Hmm. It's
1: about um, a community basically in, in Chicago. African American community in Chicago. It's a really great show. Where do you find um, it? I think it's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. I'm so bad at that. I don't know what Me we're too. watching. Um, also, like we've talked about before, I have this problem where I I typically fall asleep when we start watching stuff.
0: <laughs> yes, so, we, we share this affliction. Yes, Let's
1: call it movie narcolepsy.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So. My wife's elbows have gotten sharper, I think, over there. Yeah. Get the into the ribs. You're yeah. sleeping. You're sleeping I heard you are sleeping. They're sleeping again. Snoring. What? No, I'm not. Yes. You woke That's the me dogs all day. up.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. We're going to jump right into the bonus round.
1: Okay. Everybody bonus. gets the bonus
0: round, and it's really fun. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. Okay. So, knocking on wood. It's not going to happen. I'm just saying, just in a fantasy world, if your house were burning down, you get everyone you love out, including your animals, what's the one physical thing you take with you?
1: Oh, geez. Nothing. Don't care? No. You got it all. Yeah.
0: There's, this is good. There's surprisingly a lot of people saying that very thing. And I think that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Well, I think maybe that's another takeaway from the year. I do, too. I mean, sure, if there are family photos and all kinds of stuff, you could scramble to, like, grab. But really, in the end, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to twist the dial just a little bit. Now, it's not a physical thing. It's more of an esoteric um, spiritual thing. What are the two traits about you, the two things about you that make you Hannah that you would pull out if you could only take two things?
1: Hmm. I guess my, my drive, like when I put my mind to doing something, I do it or I try my best to do it. Um, and just being outgoing and doing things that are scary sometimes like this.
0: Courageous. You, you've done very well. And, um, I, I've noticed both of those things in you, and I admire them both. Is there anything, is there one thing that you would leave in the fire behind to be immolated and purified and gone out of your life?
1: Probably my impatience.
0: That's one of the big ones on my list, too. I'm with you. All right. You are doing amazing work, and I know it's uh, you – you you've got people in your studio as well and you've only got a certain amount of you that you can give around, but like, how do people find what you're doing? How do they get involved in, um, follow you on social, um, and you know, scope out your, uh, your boutique?
1: Um, mostly word of mouth. I mean, that's kind of always been the thing. That's, I mean, way back in the day, even Donna taught me that my first boss, um, you know, I built my clientele, on word of mouth, um, you know, get a, get a free haircut if you bring me three people, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but also now too, people share with their friends and coworkers, you know, oh, she's got an eco-friendly salon and, you know, they try to do good for the community and, um, they're great stylists, all that kind of stuff too, but it's mostly word of mouth. Um, I definitely get people that just stumble on us on, on Instagram and stuff, which, I still don't really know how that works. I mean, I assume it's through hashtags and stuff, but I don't really know. Um, like I said before, I'm not super good at that. But um, And then my website, I try to keep that updated. Like we have our first, like our welcome page is usually whatever. If we're doing a fundraiser, I'm talking about the fundraiser and whatever if we're fundraising for on there. That's where I put all the information for that. Um, we might have a you know, product of the week kind of a thing on there. Um, I have a tab that's totally dedicated to the Green Circle Mm -hmm. Salon um, recycling program that we do. And then I have a a tab that's dedicated to Black Lives Matter. And I keep that updated. And there are links on there to different organizations that I think are doing really good work where people can donate. Um, Yeah. So it seems pretty obvious where we stand on all of those things. So we definitely attract people that way. I've had a couple of people come to me and said that they really enjoyed what we shared on the website and that made them want to come in and meet us.
0: What's your URL and what are your what's your handle on social? And we'll put these in the show notes, but just for people listening right now.
1: Yeah. Um uh we're just Moxie Beauty Boutique on um Instagram and uh we're just moxiebeautyboutique.com. on the web.
0: Hannah Lux, thank you for your courage. Thank you for 20 years of friendship
1: and the best haircuts
0: a guy could imagine. (laughs) And um, we'll do this again. This was fun.
1: This was fun.
0: I'll see you down the trail. How do you say what you love? How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Save What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.